Welcome back to the official Geek Speak podcast. I am your host, John, and joined as always is my co-host, Josh Castaways. We are Castaways. Rudy Rudolph. This is the podcast where we watch movies, make movies, play games, and more. What else can you ask for? I don't get the reference. You don't watch Backyardigans? When I was, like, five. (laughs) You were on TikTok a year ago? Yes, a year ago. I don't remember things. I barely remember what happened last Wednesday. There's a car going by. Um, the audio quality in this in the uh, show right now, might, from my end, it might be slightly off. As we said last few recordings, I have moved, and we're still trying to figure out the best way for to record the podcast after I've moved. If, so someone, sorry, would like, a- if someone would like to pay for a recording studio for us, that could help things a lot. If someone wants to pay for me to have, you know, a good microphone set up and, a, you know, a good headphone setup for this, noise-canceling headphones to record through, that'd be great. But until then, I, we're stuck with changing audio and see how it goes. Last episode, I was, I was literally in the closet, like, in my clothes, like, over my head while we were recording. Um, I'm too sick to do that this time. I have a cold, so I'm sorry about that as well. Woo! And I'm just here vibing. Josh has spent the entire day um, napping. That's not true. But he did take a nap. I t- look, I've working full time. I just I need a nap. <laughs> I wake up, I have like two hours to myself, and then I go to work. <laughs> so Josh, I'm gonna bring back a question I used to ask in the podcast every time. You did, did you watch anything good lit did you watch anything good lately? Besides Cocaine Bear. Um, I'm working th- I was watching the Creed I'm movies. Working? Yes, I'm working also. <laughs> um I watched Creed, the first one from 2015. Very good. Still holds up very well. I don't think it's my favorite Ryan Coogler movie, but still very good. I honestly kind of prefer Creed 2. I honestly think it's just a bit better than the first. Stephen Cable Jr., he's the one that directed it. He's also directing the new Transformers movie coming out soon. So I'm very excited for that after rewatching this. As for shows, I don't think I've seen anything really new. Aside from Last of Us and Abbott Elementary, but aside from those, I haven't watched anything new. So I have watched for the first time Scream Three, uh, Scream Three, yeah, Scream Three and Scream Four, um, which is fascinating because I've seen one and two and five before this. Same. So going this way, this seems like the wrong way to watch the Scream movies for sure. Um, is is there a right way though? Yes. One, two, three, four, five. Just do what everyone does with Fast and Furious. Jump all around. It makes things more fun. It makes it more confusing, for sure. I say but more the fun. Scream 3 poster is the worst of the posters. Looking at other letterbox right now. Isn't it just the... What is it? <laughs> it's a 3, but it's like Sydney's face in it. Really weirdly. So you get like an eye and, and part of a nose. Uh, yeah, that one, yeah, that's not that good. No. I like the I'll Scream 4 one. I think the Scream 4 one's the best one. I like Scream 4. I like Scream 2 enough. I like the... Scream, the first Scream is a, is a good poster, too. Just that face like that. Scream if, 4, the mask turning into a knife. I think that's pretty cool. I agree. I also rewatched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with my girlfriend. The only Nicolas Cage movie she's seen is National Treasure, right? I don't know what she's seen, Nick Cage in. Look, I don't know either. You know her better than I do. I don't know where specific Nick Cage watching time. That's that's the hallmark of any relationship. You need to know what <laughs> Nick Cage movies you've all seen. So if you're new to the podcast, we talk about movies and comics and pop culture and geeky, nerdy pop culture specifically. 
So things like Marvel, DC, Ninja Turtles, Transformers, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. And it's always really fun. We, but we also, most episodes, the past two didn't happen, we go through a different Disney Channel original movie, um, or DCOM for short, and we will see how in a short period of time, the biggest media company on Earth, Disney, caters towards solely children with a large sample size, and we'll see quality changes, etc. And this time, we're talking about Ready to Run. Another Horse Girl movie. Uh, last time we didn't have horse girls, we had horse boys. Now we have horse girls. Um, and that, we have, well, after that, we're going to go into our news. We have news for the past two weeks, because we, we didn't record for two weeks. And now, today we're recording uh, March 3rd. Our last recording was like the 16th, I think. Something like that. Uh, February. And then after our news, we go to our main topic, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's a reference to its old logo it's quantum mania but they used to use the quantum realm font in the logo which they, is circles I, I still say they should have kept that font confuse people why oh, what it's called oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. um and then after our main topic about talking about quantum mania which came out about a week and a half two weeks ago we'll be moving into our super weird story which i'll explain that when we get to it let's jump into our decom talk so for this episode when well, no, we're on 34 i guess now uh, we watched a movie called Horse Sense. Nope, that was a different one, but it should have been called Horse Sense anyway. <laughs> I it, mean, we had watched a different... Yeah, right? It This, yeah. I, I If you flip the tiles, I think it would work better. Uh, fully! There's a previous decom we watched for this podcast called Horse Sense. This one is ready to run. You should flip the tiles completely. This is the one with the Horse Sense. The previous one had no Horse Sense. This... This started as one thing and quickly became something else, and I thought we were back in the era of the dramas. Not entirely. What is a DCOM again, for everyone who's not aware? Disney likes to make movies for kids, and this one was for the TV children, and like many of their TV children movies, it's a TV children movie. Uh, and we like to judge their quality and see if, you know, how is Disney's quality for kids? Like, how are they... How is Disney qualitying kids? How are they qualitying them? So us early 20s men are the perfect demographic to be able to talk about these. Right. And we have to keep in mind that we're not the demographic for this stuff. And think about, okay, if, ow, my head. If we had kids, would we? Would this be good like for our kids? Is it like, entertaining? Is it fun? Is it even worth it? Is there effort put in this, et cetera? And we watched Ready to Run this time, which is from the year 2000. Um, and when I saw the words... And Sinbad come on screen in the credits. I had a jump scare moment. <laughs> when, when I saw it, it's because the credits says featuring the voices of and Sinbad was one of them. I'm like, wait, are the horses going to talk in this? And, and they do. They do. <laughs> so but the not the way this, you think. No, the plot of this is a young woman, a young girl, who, I don't know, 16, something like that age. Uh, like, I think she's like 14. Okay, teenager age, you know. Kids. The demographic of these movies. Remember, <laughs> Disney Channel children movie. Yeah. Um, this movie has the, the decom curse of dead parents. At least one. Uh, yeah, it's almost always one dead parent, and then a kid trying to do, do what, their, what their dead parent did, and then their other parent tells them no. That happens all the time in these movies. I feel like that there's... It's similar to Hallmark Christmas movies. There's just this base script that they use for everything, and then they just uh, control F and change out certain words and stuff to make a new script out of it. But, so we have young girl, 
Um, her name is not Moody. That's the boy in this. What's her name? I don't remember. She played Corey. Corey is the young girl. She wants to be uh, a jockey, a horse race jockey. Right now, she's an exercise rider, so she helps the uh, horses train, gives them their workouts, helps them get up to shape for the races. What is like kind of? It's a very what? interesting thing for a child to want to be to be a horse jockey. I'm not. I got nothing against it, but you just never see that as a child's dreams and aspirations and anything. This movie is a horse girl movie, okay? Okay, that is and very true. I knew people like this who had this was their actual dream. Because I've, I've never girls. known a horse person in my life. I knew multiple in middle school, and one of them now actually does take care of horses and rides them all the time. So, weird. Her family magically has a gift about time style, where it just runs in the family for no reason. Uh, less is cool than about time. Her power and her gift in her family, and it seems to come up during puberty, is my guess, because she didn't got it overnight. Yeah. Overnight. Um, some people in her family can just hear what horses are thinking and saying. But only horses, no other animals. That we know of. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and apparently her dad had it, and her dad died on a horse race. And we'll get to that later. It's not that eventful, honestly. So her his daughter, Corey, the main character, wants to be a jockey, wants to be like her dad, and all of a sudden she gets the power to hear horses. And of course, the lead horse, yes, the lead horse, is voiced by Sinbad. Actually, it's not. I looked it up. What? Who is Sinbad then? Sinbad was Hollywood Shuffle. Why? I don't know. Paul Rodriguez was TJ. I don't know who Paul Rodriguez is. <laughs> okay, thank you. It didn't sound like Sinbad. I just guessed. What the fuck? Why would you have Sinbad in this and not make him the lead horse? I don't know. There's a lot of things I have questions about in this movie that I didn't get answers for. Fun fact, the director of this movie, Dwayne Dunham, made Halloween Town. He made uh, 13th Year. He made Santa and Pete double teamed. Now you see it right on track. Tiger Cruise. He made um, one of the Homeward Bound sequels, apparently. Uh, and Little Giants, which I loved as a kid. So that's pretty fun. He's made many decoms, and two of which we've already seen. It's been interesting seeing all these, and almost all of them have done at least one decom prior, at least in this point in time, which is fascinating. One thing I thought was going to happen, which I actually was really wanting to happen, is. I was hoping she never would become a jockey. That she never would? I, yeah, I was hoping that it'd be actually that she'd accept that her mom says no, and then she'd be find a place in training these animals instead. Oh, Sean. This is a Disney Channel movie. No, we don't, no, we don't do lessons like that. I knew it wouldn't happen. I just liked the idea of, wait, I found a different calling that's equally as cool, and I actually love this, love this anyway, and we're now working as a team with someone else. Disney would not realize this lesson until Monsters University 13 years later. She eventually gets to buy a horse for a bag of peanuts. Not a joke. Um, we will, we will from... not go into further context, just to confuse you even more. I don't think that's the good plan. I think it's the best plan. Alright, why not? Yeah, so I think this movie overall is fascinating. I honestly it's... did not hate it. It's not weird enough for me. It's not can of worms. It tries to be you lucky dog sometimes, but it's not at all crazy enough. 
I still, lo- I still love the bar for us is you lucky dog and can of worms. Nothing has been able to top those yet. Uh, we we got the color of friendship. Okay, but that's a legitimately good thing though. That's not what we're here for. I mean, we don't use good or bad these movies, Josh. Just yay or nay. Well, fine. That's a yay yay. The other ones were yays. You gotta understand the differences. <laughs> Oh, I also, there's been, I'm looking at my list now, because on my, on Letterboxd, I have a list of all the DCOMs we've watched so far, in order, because I'm crazy. I mean, I don't think Brink or Xenon were as, were as fun as this. No. I still think Genius was amazing, and I had a great time with that one. Genius was also a, a yay. Miracle in Lane 2 was a good yay. So we've had, I think it's You Lucky Dog and, uh, can of Worms were the most memorable ones. They're the most memorable because they took the most chances. But, like, don't look under the bed. The first half of the movie was amazing and so much fun and wild. The ending kind of sucks. But, like, I don't know. Look, I don't hate it. It's not a nay yet. I don't think we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll talk about it. But it's just not weird enough. It's not weird wanted... enough. I'm happy they didn't try animating the horse's mouths with a decom oh budget. God. That would have been terrible. No, I... Now I wish they did. <laughs> that would have made my, my my whole life better. She works for a d- horse trainer who used to be an amazing horse trainer, like a famous horse trainer, you know, like Doc from Cars. Um, and <laughs> so are you <laughs> saying that Cars stole stuff from this? No, no Cars stole stuff from Miracle in Lane 2. Ah, right. The horse trainer she's working with is a man who starts having falling in love for her mom because romance has to happen. I'm so glad they did not force romance between the main girl and the other teenage boy we meet. It would be not needed at all. But speaking of a teenage boy we meet, uh, our, our what? I'm just thinking of Moody. <laughs> yeah, we're getting him now. So they uh, need to race this horse that she buys her pack of peanuts, naturally. As and one does. We'll, yeah, um, the horse was like out of convention. The horse was either going to die, or she, or be sold off for nothing or given away because she basically saves the horse because like I'll take the horse, just don't kill it, kind of thing. And of course, that next night she gains the power to talk to horses, so that was convenient for her. Quite, quite convenient indeed. But her mom will not let her ride horses as a jockey because that's how her dad died in a, cr- in a crazy freak accident from an overworked horse. So what they do is they train this horse to be a great horse. But this horse hate it has anxiety. This horse has no self-esteem. This horse just needs to learn how to love himself. I actually think that's a good idea making a horse just be a loser who has no self-esteem and anxiety and just can't handle things. And the other horses same. bully him. That was amazing. No, the horses do bully him. I know, it was amazing. I like the horses bullying him. I'm just thinking of horses bullying other horses. <laughs> You zoned out and thought of horses bullying each other. She then is able to help train this horse, and that's great. But they still need an actual jockey for the races if they get the horse to race. So they hire a circus performer um, who does tricks, you know, dancing on horses and, like, swinging around on my rides and stuff. Crazy things like you'd see in a circus. He worked with Ringling Brothers, apparently. His name is Moody. It is B. Moody. And he is the best thing in this movie. Is he? 
Yes, his character introduction is him flirting with her by lassoing the thing, the lasso around him, pointing at her and winking at her. Best character intro ever. And then when he needs to show them what he could do, he's just literally hopping to and fro on the horse as it's just running back and forth. Best character ever. I love this man. It, it is impressive how he manages to ride the horse correctly, like, stay on the horse while also dancing on a horse. Yes. Moody, our boy, apparently, to get in the zone and to feel the horses how they feel when he rides, he listens to music. But, like, he brings up things like Led Zeppelin's songs he listens to, which Led Zeppelin never played in this movie. So why he bring it up? It's so rude of him because they couldn't afford it, clearly. Do you think a DCOM had a budget to be able to afford that? But then we have a weird sequence, like, of just beautiful landscape shots of... Corey the main girl and Moody riding horses in like romantic lightning, uh, not lightning, in romantic like mood lighting. Uh, <laughs> romantic light- lightning, it's just pink. Golden hour lighting and this like very 2000s music is playing. Oh, it's very early 2000s. And uh, it's so funny. The, the one th- music thing in this that kind of killed me was they ha- their main theme almost sounds like the main theme from Top Gun. That's true. It was oh my God. every time that it was the first three notes, I was just like, oh, did they buy the Top Gun theme? And then it wouldn't be it. I'm just like, that's weird. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's weird. So because their horse has anxiety and Moody says to calm his nerves and get him in the mindset, he listens to music. Corey has a bright idea. Let's take the headset off of Moody, put it on the horse. The best part of this to me is it's not on the horse's ears. <laughs> it's not on his ears. It's just on his forehead. It has, because horses' anatomy is different than humans. Horses' ears would not hold human headphones, and the movie never addresses that fact. Maybe it's the maybe it's the vibrations. Maybe, but it's so funny because actually, no, Josh, it's not vibrations because later in the movie they blast the music and it works the same way. The most confusing thing to me, aside from the ears thing, is how did the cause how did the CD player that Moody has never like fall off of him or the headphones get disconnected? You know, while riding a horse at like sixty miles an hour. I think because secretly he's a wizard from Halloween Town, and so he has magic. You know what? If Moody showed up in a Halloween, if this Moody showed up in a Halloween Town movie, I'd be very <laughs> happy. Of course, naturally, the way this ends up happening is. Moody can't do the race in the end, and our main girl, Corey, has to be the jockey in the final race. We'll get to why Moody can't in a minute. But uh, Corey has to be the jockey in the final race. Her mom says yes, after all. Like, your father would be so proud of you. And, of course, they win the race um, by blasting the horse's music over a loudspeaker so that even though they weren't allowed to use the CD player on the horse in the end, they could, he could still hear the music and get out of his anxiety and run the race and win. And yay, yay, yay. But... It gets dark for a minute. Weirdly. Because the reason, the reason Moody can't run the race is because their competitor, I don't know if it was accidentally or on purpose, sets the barn and the horses are in on fire. I think it was on accident. I do too. I think it was just like, it was a cigarette, right? It was his cigar, which also, this is a decom that has smoking in it. Don't smoke, kids. But yeah, so, like he, he picks it up and like a little bit of it like falls off as he's picking it up. And when that happens, boosh, fire in the barn. And of course, Corey, with her magic horse sense, which it should be called, hears the pain of the horses, runs to the barn with Moody. And they go and, oddly, Moody says, I'll get our horse. And then uh, you get the other horses out. And she gets all the horses free. 
in the time it takes Moody to get to not even get one out. I think it's funny that no one was able to hear like the screaming horses that are almost on fire. And then when the two of them go, they don't scream for help either. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Eventually they do get help because Moody even fails. He couldn't get the one horse out. Correct. Mo- Moody is a and- lot of things, but he sadly is not a winner. Like I said about almost losing your hands, that's what happens to him. He His hands, like, catch on fire. He has to... It's TJ, TJ has, a like, one of the blankets you put on the horse, and that catches on Josh, fire. Josh, wait, they, we don't know who TJ is yet. The horse. <laughs> we never said that in this episode. We got, they don't know. It's Thunder Jam. Thunder Jam, whatever. It's a horse. But yes, he's got a blanket on him. It catches on fire. Moody grabs the fire blanket. And look, he's a kid. I understand he's dumb. But that's dumb. And in the process, he burns his hands and he can't race. It's just not weird enough. It's a pretty straightforward plot for the most part. Besides the horse talking. But even when that happens, it becomes straightforward. So the thing of the horse talking is, is that the grandma says that if, you know, if you're pure of heart, then you'll be able to hear the horses or something like that. I thought they meant in general. No, apparently it's just her family. So then when anyone else, you know, sees her talking to it, they don't hear the horse talking. She just hears it. Josh, yay or nay on this decom? You know what? I'll give it a yay. I If I had to watch this again, I wouldn't mind. I think I'm going to go with a nay. Uh, <gasps> I would just rather watch. It's Okay, it's better than Horse Sense. Yes, that's true. The plot of that, I can't even fully remember. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot to it. Um... But I'd rather watch Miracle in Lane 2, or Can of Worms, or The 13th Year, or Yuki Dog, or... I'd rather watch Brink over this, too. Which we gave nays, nays at the time, but reflecting on it, it's still fun. There's all, there's, there's attempted murder in that. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. I mean, am I right? I mean, there's... You know, remember the rock scene on the hill? Oh, I remember the rock scene. Yeah, that kid tried to murder them. Uh, Brink. <laughs> what a time so if you're not if you're new to the podcast um we go to a different additional movie almost every time and our next one is what josh i've never heard of this one it's called quint as in quintuplets and marnie from halloween town is in this back to our show okay so josh you know what it's time for it's a thing it's time for news really <laughs> so let's start with um, a big thing, and that is a very popular show called Book of Boba Fett. Just started up again. That's not what it's called, though. Uh, but it basically is a Book of Boba Fett season again because of what weird t- uh, problems that in the lore, Mandalorian Season 3 just started up. And if you've only watched Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2 and then now this, you'll be very confused. And Josh is angry about it. So, Josh, go on. For those of you that have not kept up with Star Wars, Mandalorian season one and two. Which, good for you, honestly. It's it's a lot. But <laughs> the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, great, fantastic TV. Then there was a spinoff of it called The Book of Boba Fett. Pretty self-explanatory. It's a show about Boba Fett. Um, you wouldn't think that there would be any connecting tissues. There's quite some connecting tissues that was not apparent at all in the marketing. So if you want season three of Mandalorian to make sense... You gotta watch Book of Boba Fett. And I'm sorry you have to watch Book of Boba Fett, because it's not good. <laughs> it's not Josh's favorite. If you like it, that's great. That's wonderful. Not everyone likes everything. We all like different things. But, like, Josh has been on the talk, talk about... Ugh. 
Josh has talked in this podcast before about how Book of Boba Fett isn't his thing. Uh, it's um, not my thing because it retroactively re- undoes everything that the first two seasons of Mandalorian were setting up. And the arcs that were done were very well done. They were perfectly written and everything. And that's because John Favreau, the creator of the show, wrote both seasons back to back. This was before a third season was even on the table. And so it just started as a two season thing. And that was where they were going for. And the second, the ending of the second season is perfect. If they never got a third season, it'd be a great ending to the show as a whole. And then, of course, you know, it's Star Wars, so they got a third season. And so, I don't know if it was Favreau's decision or Disney's. Someone's decision was to bring some people back and undo everything. And I hate that it does that, because the first episode of season three is average. And not a good kind of average. A pretty bad average. I have a question and then a follow-up question. Okay. So, answer is yes or no first. Okay. Do they have a previously on? Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, does a previously on contain Book of Boba Fett stuff? It does not. <laughs> what the hell? When I saw it, I was just like, okay, this will be good. This will, you know, fill in the gaps. It doesn't. It shows, like, stuff that happened in the first two seasons. It doesn't at all touch on Boba Fett. And the first episode, they barely, they don't even, like, reference it. It's just like, he is back. All right, let's go on. They should have done previously in the Star Wars galaxy. That's what they should have done. Yeah, look, I don't think a whole lot of thinking was going on with some of this stuff. And also, this is probably one of my biggest pet peeves with it, is the DP of the Batman and Dune, Greg Frazier, he was the DP on The Mandalorian when it started. and But obviously now he's moved on to, you know, bigger things, and he's not the DP anymore. And what sucks is that the DP, whoever it is, that's working on Mando now, is trying to copy his style. And it is not working and i don't mean to diss the dp at all this is just the style of the show but without the dp there and like without a real guide to how it's supposed to look the lighting looks off the shots aren't the same it just feels off and that's kind of the whole vibe of it not just from the cinematography perspective but from the writing perspective as well it all feels off and i don't like it if you like it then more power to you this was Josh's rant on Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1. Again, only Episode 1. There will be more to come. I can probably guarantee you on that. <laughs> but moving on from our weird Star Wars Josh rant, we are talking about more TV news, but about Marvel this time. About Marvel cutting back on TV, specifically. Um, the news is that Secret Invasion and Loki Season 2 are the only d- d- definite Marvel shows to release this year, 2023. Shows including Echo and Ironheart are unlikely to arrive this year, and Marvel aims to spread out its content and work more in post-production, which is great news. This is a very smart move, not just from the VFX perspective of giving them more time, but from, you know, a public perspective. Because last year, we got so much stuff from Marvel that I can understand people being fatigued by it, because it was a lot. And But, like, 2021... It, that was just kind of how everything went because of COVID. It's just like, we've got all this stuff already. Let's just put it out there in the world because why not? We have the, we have the time. Let's do it. But then 2022 happened and they're like, we've got more stuff still. So let's put it all out there. But 2021, people were still indoors a lot. So it still worked. But 2022, not so much. <laughs> 2021 from one of episode one through the entire year, every week, something from Marvel is coming out. Pretty much. That's no, that's that's accurate. Every single week, so either it was in theaters or it got released on on the uh, streaming. That's insane, right? Yep. 
I was overwhelmed by it. And I love, it's like my huge special interest. I love superheroes. But it was just so much content at once. Spreading them all out more and letting everyone have time to miss it is a good idea. Yeah, and I think that this will also give Feige more breathing room to like really figure out like, okay, which one of these need to be shows and which ones can be movies? Because there's a lot that could easily have been movies. It would still have gotten the point across. But I also hope this makes him realize that six episodes is not enough for a show. There are certain stories that work as a miniseries, but then there's some that desperately needed more time to be able to do everything fully and accurately and be actual shows. Because a lot of them just feel like they're just extended movies. So, yay or nay on the spacing out of this stuff? I give it a yay. Obviously, you and, know, I'm a big Marvel fan, and I want you know as much as possible, but if it gives the VFX team more time, then yes, by all means, I will take the breaks. <laughs> and yay or nay on the Mandalorian Season 3 starting? Man, I was excited for it, but then Book of Boba Fett happened, I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm starting to see decline. <laughs> I'll give it an indefinite yay. Maybe there will be some bright spots. I don't know yet. On to mixing good slash bad news, bittersweet things. Um, the Flash TV show has wrapped shooting, first off. Um, it's end of its last episode now. Season 9, last episode is the wrapped shooting. Which also means, I'm pretty sure, the Arrowverse has wrapped. Minus Superman Lois, which is in a weird bubble. We were talking about this before we started recording. It's... It's amazing how big it started out, and, like, I remember when the CW Arrowverse was starting and how big of a thing it was. It wasn't, you know, up to, like, the levels of Marvel, but, like, people were aware of it. And then just to see the decline, both of the quality of the shows and then just how Warner Brothers just treated the properties, you know, as the shows kept going on and canceling and everything, it just went out with a whimper when it shouldn't have gone out with a whimper. It could have been, you know, they were spreading themselves too thin. There's a whole million other factors. But I wish that it had a big grand finale to the universe as a whole. I will say, I also have cool news with this. And that's if you watch a show, this season is bringing back uh, Zoom, like Teddy Sears, Zoom, and John with the ship as Jay Garrick uh, for the final season of The Flash. And they were both introduced in season two of the show and were phenomenal characters, and I'm really excited to see them come back. I will be watching season 9, because I skipped a few seasons to get there, but I'll watch the last season just to see how this all concludes. Um, so that's really exciting. So I'll give a yay to them coming back. Josh did not see the show or know these characters. Yay or nay? I saw the first half of the first season, maybe like 2016, 2017, something like that, and... You know, I can understand why people like the stuff, but I think after a certain point, it's just, it's too, it's a lot of stuff, and there's a lot, yeah, it, that's just what, what it is. There's a lot of stuff, both of The Flash and the other stuff, that would make it hard to figure out where to start from it. For fans of it, I can understand this being a nay for me. I'll give it an indifferent nay. I'll be nice. No, but yay or nay on uh, Jay Garrick and Zoom coming back. Oh, Characters you've never seen I don't know anything about them, so yay. We have news about Hellboy, ironically, after all this time. We are getting a new live-action Hellboy movie in the works with Brian Taylor set to direct. What are your thoughts, Josh? Why are they trying this again after the failed 2019 reboot? Like, I saw it in theaters. I thought it was fine. David Harbour did, did his best with what he had. The makeup on him was fantastic. But as a whole, it was clearly studio meddling and everything like that. 
it just it didn't work. Could it a new one work? Uh, it could, but I don't know. I feel like that trying it again just seems pointless. I mean, personally, I think Hellboy's a great character, and you can do a lot with the character. I love Del Toro's first Hellboy film. Um, I didn't watch 2019's film. Also, I make make up for uh, David Harbour. I am impressed how they convinced so so many people, including myself, for a while that David Harbour got completely jacked. Oh yeah, they convinced me too. <laughs> it was a great suit, great look. Um, Ooh, okay. and Brian Taylor uh, was a writer on Jonah Hex, by the way. Okay, I'm familiar with this dude's work. Um, the sh- the show Happy with Patton Oswalt yeah. and Christopher Mal- Maloney. He um he directed that, and he's got a very cool style. So this. Sh- Okay, now I'm more. I'm on board with this more. Okay, Josh switched on a dime for uh, the directors. I love that. But seriously, I am always down for more Hellboy. I think it would be cooler if it was animated. But I think there's I a. It. I think there's a Hellboy video game that's in yeah the, that's coming out. I'm giving this a yay for now. In the works could mean anything, and it might never come out. We never know. But yay for potentially having Hellboy again. I will give it a yay. I love this director's style. If you want a truly great and deranged uh, Christmas show, go watch Happy. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. Next up is a very interesting hit-or-miss director news piece. Um, And that is about M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, He has signed a multi-year first-look deal to direct films for Warner Brothers, which is big news for him since he's almost always, like, been funding his own film since like six cents so that's really quite to me it's really interesting that he's with warner brothers because for since the visit all his films have been at universal so it's it's interesting that they didn't like offer him up some kind of deal themselves because all his films which as you said he finds himself brought in a lot of money for the studio so it's very interesting that they didn't pounce on this when they had a chance Tenant left a void. Quills for Nolan left a void. They needed to fill with another auteur director. For better or worse, they wanted to find one. I would really be interested in seeing Shyamalan do another big budget movie and see what, what with everything he's learned over the past several years, if he would be able to do it better. I want to see his last Airbender book two and three. Because the first one's so bad and missing so much information, what the fuck would Toph be like? It would be the Ember Island Players version. <laughs> that's what it would be. My name is Toph, so it sounds like Toph, and that's just what I am. If you have not seen Knock at the Cabin yet, then I would recommend you see it. We talked about that briefly in the last episode. We did! But, uh, we now have the first poster for The Marvels, which is fucking amazing. Yes. This poster is gorgeous. It's And we're getting... Photon slash Spectrum, Maria Rambo. Uh, we're getting Brie Larson's, uh, Carol Danvers. We're getting, we're getting Kamala Khan, and I am so excited for this movie. It is beautiful. It. This is an annoying trend I noticed with Marvel. Their teaser posters are always the best posters for their movies. More often than not, the teasers, the teaser posters are the best, and then their regular ones wins the floating heads. That's just, I, I it annoys me when they do that. But also the light on this, like on each one, there's like light on their characters and it's their logos. Even Miss Marvel, like the sunset is like kind of zigzag with the clouds. It's uh, so well done. I'm very excited for the Marvels. Truly a great poster. Yay. Big yay. Yay. Moving on. Whoa. I'm still dying. We have Zach Galifianakis news. 
Zach Galifianakis will star in the new Disney Plus, yes, Disney Plus only live action Lilo and Stitch movie as Cleekly, the weird little tall alien with a big head and one eye. <laughs> uh, I, big yay on that, but also big nay because Disney Plus only, as with our future extra news piece later. D- is Why is Disney taking the Netflix route on this? Are they just allergic to money? This would make them so much money. I don't get it. <laughs> there is potential for this to be good. You have the director, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on making it. That's already a great sign right there. But Disney Plus only. No one's going to watch it. The Lady and Trent remake. No one watched it. Mulan. People did not want to pay $30 to watch it. And now the Peter Pan and Wendy one, which we're going to talk about soon. I'm willing to bet no one's going to watch that either. If they get the casting of Lilo and Nani right, then I think the movie will at least be good, at bare minimum. Are you ready to see Live Back and Stitch, though? Because he has to pass for a dog, too. He has to look both cute and cuddly and also threatening, which, mm, I don't know how Disney's remakes of stuff that is supposed to be cute are never cute. Have you seen the Beauty and the Beast remake? The the house where stuff does not look cute. <laughs> But Simba, the, the emotionless little pup uh, kid and thing. I re- I rewatched this. I rewatched the stampede scene of when he shouts no into the gorge because it's so funny. The best part is when he fla- when he flashbacks at the end to remembering it, and it's in slow mo. It's even funnier. I give the idea of the casting of this a yay, but I'm getting the news piece still a nay because like our glass onion rule of. It's going to streaming, not to theaters. So, automatic day. If they get Ving Rames to play Cobra Bubbles, then I will give it an automatic yay. But if it's not Ving Rames, then what are we even doing? Get Shaq to play him. Mm. No, that's be wait. He's gigantic, and he can't act. It'd be so funny. <laughs> who, who would be a, a better... Hmm. If not Ving Rames... Oh my god, Dwayne Johnson might actually happen. No, because if it was him, then he would give himself a much more prominent role. And That's Bubbles, true. Is, not, and Bubbles is not supposed to have a prominent role. Dwayne Johnson as Stitch. Make it happen. Dear God, no. <laughs> but all mocap. Okay, I would pay to see the mocap of him <laughs> being Stitch. But no, I will allow Dwayne Johnson to be Stitch if he doesn't speak English. If he does Stitch's normal voice. But if it's not that, then I don't want it. Jack Black is Stitch. Okay, now you're just handing out perfect casting choices right there. Neil Patrick Harris as Stitch. There we go. But only singing the entire time. Look, he played Steve the Monkey in the Clay with a Chance of Meatballs movie, so like... That's right! If he could do that, he could do Stitch. Okay, but on our next news piece, I think we both give one a nay because of the Disney Plus thing. Yes. But... I have Grinch news for the first time in a very long time. When have you had Grinch news before? Uh, fuck if I remember, but I remember it happened one time. Maybe it was just during our weird little uh, holiday bracket. But probably we're getting a sequel book titled How the Grinch Lost Christmas. Uh, It is the first time the Grinch story will be expanded without Dr. Seuss. What the fuck? Is it me, or does making a sequel to The Grinch kind of make it lose the meaning of the story? Especially when it's called The Grinch, How The Grinch Lost Christmas, because that implies that he forgets the meaning of Christmas, 
but the whole thing of the first one was him learning the meaning of it. It's also a children's book. It's gonna be, what, like, 20 to 30 pages? It's like... Also, in the first book, he steals Christmas and loses it. He literally loses their stuff. Maybe Jim Carrey will write it. Jim Carrey, if he's actually, if he stars the movie version of this, by the same director, by the same cast, everything, then it's a yay. I would love to see Jim Carrey's reaction to being cast without his, without his acknowledgement. The fact that he had had to smoke while getting makeup on and off to help him calm his nerves he had and endure to... CIA-level training. CIA God. torture training. <laughs> I, it's, it's funny just thinking of that, but in reality, that's terrible. That's super unethical. Yeah, that's terrible. It shouldn't have happened to him. But you, but would, I, you would never be able to tell watching the movie he was uncomfortable wearing that stuff. No, he embraced it. Oh, my God. Um, it made him grumpier, I guess, in the suit and the scenes. I give this news a nay, I think. I don't know. It's a Seuss book without Seuss. You don't – Seuss is one of those writers that's books have stood the test of time. You don't need a sequel. If you, it's money you're worried about, they just give more rights to Illumination to make more anime movies. Please, no. I'm not, look, I'm not saying that they're desperate for money. They're the ones saying they're desperate for money by making a sequel. Um, so moving, are you giving this a year or a nay, Josh? I need to know. I'm, nay, it's just, it's dumb. I have Steven Yeun no, no, not nose. I don't have Steven Yeun's nose. I, I have Steven Yeun. I have news about him. That's all, not his nose, I swear. Is it news about his nose? You can't catch me. What? The nose is the nose is mine now. I'm sorry. I was asking if you had news about the nose, not if you stole the nose. I, I said nothing. So, Steven Yeun uh, has been cast in the Thunderbolts movie, and will be also be a significant and integral part to the future of the MCU. My guess, people are saying Amadeus show, which I think is just because he's Asian, which is not a good reason to assume that. I'm gonna guess he's playing a Sentry. What? What? I know the name. Amadeus Cho. What? He is name. Hulk. He is one of the Hulks. He is one of the smartest people alive. I wonder if he was in the anime Hulk show, Hulk in the Agents of Smash. That might be how I know it. What the fuck was that? You don't remember that? That was during the Marvel Disney XD show stuff. They did Ultimate Spider-Man, that show, Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Sentry is a character, kind of like Superman-ish, um, who's rumored to be the villain of the Thunderbolts movie. I think you don't cast Steven Yeun in a small role. No, especially uh, after Nope. I think if he became the villain, too, that'd be really fucking cool. It'd be cool to see him, you know, jacked with Superman powers. So, I'm down if he plays Sentry. I'm down to see what they do with him. I think it'll be... Obviously, it's going to be good, whatever they use. So, and if it's a if it's integral to the MCU, then it's probably something on the levels of Sentry or a big villain. Maybe they're fighting Doctor Doom. I don't think they would be, but maybe he'll be Doctor Doom. Woo! So, yay on him joining the MCU um, in a big role, apparently. I give yay. Moving on to Aaron Taylor Johnson news. Um, Craven. This is not Craven news for once with him. Darn! My most it anticipated is- movie of the year. It is other weird monster movie news. Aaron Taylor Johnson has been cast in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu. Yes. I have no idea what role we don't know yet, but that's pretty cool. I just He's want, a good actor. I want Nicholas Holt to play Renfield in that, because he's playing Renfield in the movie Renfield. 
I want him playing his character from Bullet Train, but in Nosferatu. <laughs> I want a Tangerine and Lemon prequel movie, damn it. Yay? Yay. Moving on to, we got the Clancy Brown action man. We got Mr. Krabs himself. Surter himself. He has done so much voice acting. And physical acting, too. Yeah, but he's more known for his voice acting, his which voice. I think is, yeah, because he's got, he's a great voice actor, but I think it's a shame that he's not been stuck as a voice actor, but that Hollywood hasn't seen the full potential of him, like, as a, you know, live action actor. He's, he plays a lot of generals. He does, but it's the commanding presence he has. Just watch him in Daredevil and The Punisher, and you'll understand. He is also now cast in the Matt Reeves' The Batman Universe. He will be playing Salvatore Moroni in The the Penguin. Big yay, hooray, hooray, yay. I just uh, I just want to see him towering over Colin Farrell's Penguin. <laughs> That's all I want to see. My brain heard Colin Firth's Penguin, and I want to see that now, too. I would love to see Colin Firth as the Penguin. It has to be the same exact version as Colin Farrell's. Twins. I, <laughs> I want to see Colin Farrell, tr- not Colin Farrell, Firth, try to do the De Niro voice that Farrell did for Penguin. Am I the only one who doesn't know the difference between L and Law? Ah, get out of here, hey! What a great year for Colin Farrell. What a weird year for Colin Farrell. Going from the Batman to the Banshees of Inishirin is a very weird year. I, start, I started rewatching uh, Banshees the other night. My god, just the little nuances of his performance is so it's so funny. But his talk at the bar when he's like talking about niceness and like the whole long monologue, That's, amazing. It's so good. When it's when he won worth- the Golden Globe, I was just like, Really? And then I was thinking I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> like I have not seen the will yet, but I would be fine with him winning the Oscar for that role. Austin Butler, of course, he does good in Elvis. I'm not denying him that, but it's for me, that's the safe and easy choice. But my, I would rather Brendan Fraser win or Colin Farrell win. Colin Farrell is such a good actor in general. But anyway, this is not about him. It's about his show, The Penguin, and let's, Clancy Brown's going to star in it as Maroney. Let's, <laughs> let's make a Colin Farrell podcast. You know what? It's been all episode, just not Colin Farrell's career. <laughs> anyway, big yeah and Clancy Brown joining... Uh, the Penguin show itself, Tomaroni, an amazing character, a great crime boss, a good um, foil to we just we avoid now, of course, in that universe because Falcone's gone. You know, El Rata Alada. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have to deal with a new crime boss or an old one returning. Or- I'm excited. Cool. Make it all in the flood. It's just a penguin trying to gain power by saying, join me. I want to see it. him just use a little robo just screaming in the megaphone. Join my cause. <laughs> Take flight with the penguin. Squawk, squawk, motherfucker. We have more DC news. About games this time. So you were, you played the Arkham games, right? I did. And I love most of them. And I have my things with Arkham Knight. Speaking of Arkham Knight, that's our news piece. So, the one you don't love, um, Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League is they are doubling down on it being set in the same universe. It's set five years after Arkham Knight. <laughs> I don't have thoughts. Do you know what happens at the end of Arkham Knight? I know it's Jason Todd, which is obvious in the beginning. That's all I know. I'm not talking about that specifically. Then no. I know at one point the runner makes a racetrack through all of Gotham for no reason. Okay, so then I'm not going to spoil how it ends. I will say, 
it's interesting saying this in the Arkham universe after the events of Arkham Knight. That's all I'll say. But is that was that the only part of it? That was the news. Oh, okay. Then I will rant about this being a live service game like the Avengers game. Uh, that is a very, very, very stupid decision. Number one, the Avengers game did poorly because of this exact reason. And, you know, that's the Avengers, which is very popular in the world. This is Suicide Squad, which had one bad movie and one good movie. That's not a great thing. Number three, it's an M-rated game, so you're already limiting your audience on that. So... I don't understand why they're doing this. And live service game with microtransactions is a terrible business move for a game that, yes, has multiplayer elements, but is much a story-driven single-player type of game. This didn't work for Avengers. It's not going to work for this. And it's going to shoot them in the foot. So I don't understand it. And I'm mad about it. End of rant. I don't know if I'm going to buy the game immediately. So yay or nay not being set five years after uh, Arkham Knight. Interpret how you will. Hmm. I'll give you can it, give a dumb reason. I'm, I'm aware. I'm thinking here. Um, I'll give it a yay because maybe it'll give me hope for more Riddler racetracks, even though this has no racing elements in it whatsoever. There's a helicopter outside. I give a yay, very hard yay, solely because fuck if I know. I don't play the Arkham games. Um, solely because. Uh, it means that we get to have Kevin Conroy's existence in that world so he lives on. True. That's a reason. I like Conroy. This is also his last performance ever, so I want to give this as much yay as I can. I hope that Batman is a prevalent enough force in the game to, like, really be a good, you know, not conclusion of his time as Batman, but just, like, one to be like, that was a, that was a cool last performance. So, so awesome news, Josh. We're getting... Our last piece of news, Josh, involves a movie you quite enjoy. I do? Yes, Detective Pikachu. You've heard of it. I have. You enjoy it, right? I do. I was not wrong. So we're getting a sequel, first off, which is amazing. Finally. Uh, which is and Jonathan Crystal is set to direct, and it's for Legendary. Um... Have you seen any of Crystal's work before, like Baskets or Moonbase 8 or any of that stuff for Portlandia? I haven't seen that stuff, but I know that those are like very highly regarded for television comedy stuff from that time period. So I'm very interested to see what he does with this. But obviously, I'm just here to see more Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. That's all I need. He was a writer on the Kroll show, the Nick Kroll's short-lived show. Well, then this will be interesting. I give us a yay because we're getting... Another silly Detective Pikachu movie. I give it a yay, too. Although the first one is a nonsense plot. Well, it's a movie called Detective Pikachu. What kind of deep mystery are you expecting? I just think Bill Nye is really weird on it, isn't it? Okay, I will say, also, it, it's kind of funny what happens at the end. <laughs> making dittos copy humans is disturbing. If that, Yeah, when she took the glasses off and you saw the eyes, I'm like, I don't care for that at all. I love Ditto as a Pokemon. Like, one of my favorite Pokemon of all, of all time. What the fuck was that movie doing? I am a resident non-Pokemon player, so that was a first for a lot of things for me. And the weird Ditto eye things brings us to other weird things that are squishy. And some things do not have holes, much like how Ditto does not have holes. This is a weird transition bringing us to Quantumania. That's a reference to the movie about something not having holes that's weird and squishy. He's not wrong. 
I'm not wrong, played by David Das Molten for some reason. I love um, that's great. <laughs> named Veb. Uh, we will do non-spoilers first, and then spoilers. And if you have not seen the movie yet, um, it's been out for about a week and a half, two weeks. There is a timestamp down below. So once we get past, we'll, have, we'll make spoilers very clear before we get into them. Then you can jump ahead to our next section. And then come back later once you've seen the whole movie. Quantumania. The good, the bad, the fucking weird. Where to begin with this movie? Uh, base, base, base plot. Reaction. What is the movie about, Josh? What happens? Ant-Man. Where are we? Ant-Man and family get sent down into the quantum realm. They encounter all sorts of manner of weird creatures and things. And a weird person named Kang. And he's got some nefarious things up his sleeve. So will Shrinky Boy and Waspy Lady be able to save the day? Or will they all shrink too much? That's not exactly the final thing, but that's I couldn't think of anything better to edit on. Scott's been gone from his daughter again for five years. Uh, people have also been commenting on Catherine Newton's acting in this as being bad or slang. I think it's fine. I really don't have a problem with it. But. I think the script is not incredible. But I don't care because it's silly enough for me. It it worked for me. I don't think this is the strongest Ant-Man film, but I think compared to at least the second one, I think hmm, where where I'm trying to think of what I think the story of this one worked better compared to the second one because this one took itself more seriously. I wouldn't say this is like a dark and serious film, but it does understand the stakes of you know the situations that they're in and you understand the threat of kang of this i will say the ant family i guess all use different ant-man powers for the most part uh ant-man is point scott lang basically just giant man that's all pretty much all he does in the movie pretty much um whereas cassie is all shrinky shrink and then we have hank douglas what hank michael douglas, douglas. <laughs> uh you know what I meant? Hank Pym slash Michael Douglas uh-huh. is doing the ant talking. Um, Janet is here. Um, that's a power, I guess. She's she's she the, she's the smart one. She gets everything like working for everyone. No, but they've never addressed her powers that she had in the last movie of fixing Ghost's brain. Never addressed. Okay, look, the anime films have set up things in past movies and they never did anything with them. I rewatched them beforehand. You have the guy that takes the yellow jacket suit and serum. We never see that again. It's never right. been brought oh, up or anything. <laughs> and then Hope is the most, and that does the uh, it, the power of like the, what am I trying to say? Blasters. Pew, pew. I meant to say just like combat in general, but mostly just doing the, and the far away combat, which is like, and yeah, it's blasters, pew, the, pew. True, but the stealth combat part is a big part of what um, Ant-Man's also known for. And so I kind of divide up a lot of what Ant-Man in general is known for, and that's his family, which is a cool thing, kind of like the Shazamly stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be a positive yay, first off. I'm saying that yay with caveats, but yay. I hate the pronoun game in movies. Oh, she's not going to like this, or he's not going to like this. Oh, don't we watch out for him, but don't reveal who it is until a while in the movie. That only works if the audience already knows who this person broadly is. So I'm fine with the idea of it being an underwhelming person. But when that happens, you can still say his name before them. It's not like Voldemort where he's just like the name actually has power beforehand. Like where, you know, it could it could summon him, can tell his followers where you are, whatever, in, like, in Deathly Hallows. When Janet keeps saying him, 
in front of her family, only her family, after like an hour and like overall, that's not that's mostly a nitpick. Most of Janet's lines were just cryptic shit the whole time. Because cryptic. Ooh. Speaking of weird dialogue things, the majority of the lines said by, said by Catherine Newton were dad. Just oh. the word dad. Pe- people it is are... literally... No, oh. that's not a joke. It It is, on average, every four minutes she says dad. I, that's not a problem. <laughs> She's just talking to her father. No, but it's not... There, you can do more dialogue choices besides that. I don't think the script Fa- is that strong. Father, help me. No, I, I just think there's better ways to write dialogue. That's all I'm saying. I, it was never a problem for me because I wasn't looking for it. I rewatched it and I was, you know, trying to pay attention to it, but I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. It's not a problem. Also fair. Fun plot stuff. Scott Lang is now famous and loving life he is just vibing he has a book he's got a podcast he is getting free food because people think he's spider-man and it's a it's a great time for him i find it a little weird that she keeps calling that she calls hank like grandpa now a little bizarre but that's fine doesn't bother me it just i don't know i thought it was nice to see that they've grown close enough that like she considers them family they also consider them family as well it's fine it'd be less weird if we saw any of that because like they also were gone for five years cassie wasn't well it's also been a few years since endgame we it's not specifically still 2023 it's been a few years since then oh i know well also we don't know exactly what time what what year it is now, or anything. Because their timeline's confusing per- currently. Yeah, it's probably for the best. <laughs> like, there are things like things that I wish we saw a bit more of before they got all zoop, sucked in. But also, that hits the ground running fast, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, so I it's th- a give and take. I think with stuff like that, I think that the Peyton Reed and writer Jeff, Jeff Loveness, whatever his last name is, are trusting the audience enough to see things like that and to get an idea and to understand, okay, so this is how they see each other. This is how the unit works and like all that because they don't want to spend too much time on that because they're like, we have things to do in the quantum realm. So we got to set stuff up and do it effectively. So that way people, you know, get an idea and we can get the ball rolling without taking too long. So about Scott being busy now with his book deal, whatever his daughter, Cassie is judging him. Like, you should be helping people more. Stop doing this. And the uh, hope is now kind of a politician kind of person. She is now helping with amazing campaigns to help end world hunger, help with world peace. There's a giant things happening. Um, and Hank and Janet, you think they're just being a cute old married couple, but no, they're doing some crazy science still. As one does, Cassie has her own pink suit now, even though she has chucks on still. Which I think defeats the purpose of the suit, of it being vacuumed, like, sealed tight. But that's fine. If you're a teenager in Marvel, you have to wear those shoes. Even though it literally makes the cost of the suit literally not function correctly out, or shouldn't. But whatever. Maybe they're built in. Pillman chucks to her suit. It's such a funny idea. Or only her feet don't shrink or grow with her. That'd be horrifying. <laughs> you just see human-sized feet just running around. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be horrifying. So they are now all buddy-buddy, the family, and now they're all judging Scott because you're not doing that for the world anymore. Which, I've seen two arguments of this. First off, everyone's saying, lay off Scott, he saved the universe, he should get a break. Which, true, but that's also a weird argument to put on superheroes. 
Because the whole point of superheroes, and the argument this movie makes, is with great power comes great responsibility. That's literally the whole argument of this movie. And the why they're blaming Scott. You can do so much. Why did you stop doing so much? Like, Superman doesn't stop saving cats from trees, he, or people from burning building, because he's like, you know what, I saved the universe, I'm done helping people. That doesn't happen. Like, I get the idea of a human standpoint of, like, I saved the universe, I, can, I should be able to retire. But not from a superhero standpoint. Well, I think this speaks to Scott as a character because he's never really seen himself as like a hero type person. Because when he's recruited to be Ant Man, he's just kind of like, "You got, you have to do this. You have to help us." And he's just like, "Okay, fine, I'll, I'll do it. I'll help you." And it's not obviously the Yellow Jacket stuff could become like world dangerous stuff, and so he realizes like, "Okay, this is kind of a big deal. I should do this." But in Ant Man and the Wasp, it's not really a world's threatening kind of thing and again he's just kind of thrust into it so now when he has the time and decisions to be able to live his own life he's gonna you know take it as a, at a leisurely pace without kind of realizing that he's become this thing that he's not quite wanted to be but something that's been kind of thrust upon him and I think that had the ending stuck more i think we could have had a really interesting arc for him i fully agree with that scott lang is still funny to me. I love people, him. I've heard, I've heard people say he's, he's not, not as funny this time. And this movie is not serious. People who went in the movie think it'd be serious because the trailers of it seem serious. It's the Iron Man 3 effect. Iron Man 3 is also goofy. And that's still fine. This is still goofy. It, it's it, still fine. It does, it does take itself seriously when it's supposed to. But it also remembers that this is a weird sci-fi comic book movie. So we're going to have some fun with it. And I fully, fully believe, which I'll get to more in the spoilers as to why... Uh, that Peyton Reed, because he wanted to make a Fantastic Four movie and then couldn't do it. Like he was told no. I fully believe he took his ideas for that and just threw it in here. Said, why not? I'm going to do the same thing I'm just going to do then, but do it here. Because this movie is a Fantastic Four movie on almost every single qualifier for Fantastic Four movies. And I'll get to that soon. Like, it is Tim Reed level, 90s Fantastic Four movie, like, unaired movie level of Fantastic Fourness, which is still the most accurate Fantastic Four movie we've had. Which is wild. I just really uh, appreciated how different this was compared to the first two. Because I've been seeing people on Twitter for the past two weeks complaining, like, why isn't this like the first and blah, 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 and like all this. I'm just like, you would be saying the exact, you'd be saying the opposite if it was doing the same thing. You'd be like, why is it doing the same thing? Why is it not giving us something different? Like, you don't, fans, you don't know what you necessarily want. So they are trying new and different things. If it's not your thing, then that's fine. But, like, I'm fine with getting something new and trying something different. And this is, again, Ant-Man can go into the quantum realm. This has been established from day one that this concept is really something that only he can do at this point in time. So, like, why not embrace that? Why not explore that? Why not see what's down there fully? Like, this is cool. This is interesting. This is what makes comic books such an interesting medium, is that you can tell stories like this, and it makes sense, and doesn't feel out of, you know, ordinary for this kind of stuff. Let's talk about performances now, overall. It's funny. People said Michael Douglas looks like he hates it being here. I don't get that fully. I think that he does definitely does look a little tired of it, uh, slightly, but he looks like he's having fun still, which is good. I think I um, thought that he was having fun. It seemed like that he enjoyed what he was doing, that he likes the people that he's with. And he's even stated that like he made these so that way his kids can be able to watch something that he's done, because most of the things that he's done right. has been only R-rated. Let's talk about Jonathan Majors, who plays King the Conqueror in this, as a performance. Amazing. It's great. And it's also, if you're thinking that it's going to be like how it was in Loki, completely different. 
And that's also the point. I do love the wait till you meet my variants line Loki. I'm very excited to see him going forward with everything like King Dynasty and Secret Wars and what they have in store. So a while ago we reported on William Jackson Harper being this movie. I'm not talking about his character at all, just performance-wise. Fun. Yes. That's all I can say about that right now. Yes. Uh, David Dosmolchen as the gooey boy. Fun. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer does do a great performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think her lines are great, but I think she's great saying the lines. Does that make sense? She has to do a lot of exposition in this, but that's just, you know, the nature of it. But when she's not doing exposition, like, she's she's doing good. But Michelle Pfeiffer's always fantastic. Mm-hmm. One thing that we could talk about before spoilers is that while this is called Ant-Man and the Wasp, the Wasp is not really a main character in this. Yes. Thank and you. That's what you, can, you can see that as either positive or negative. On rewatch, when I was just taking the film in for what it was, it didn't really bother me. But it still just seemed kind of weird that they kept the Wasp subtitle, even though she's not as prominent of a character as she was in the second movie. I want them to use character names more often. Like, Age of Ultron, they didn't say Qu- uh, Quicksilver, they didn't say Scarlet Witch, and they didn't say Vision. Not really. Say Stature! Give Cassie her name! But, I mean, like, I, it's, they know each other, so, like, it doesn't... It's, to me, personally, it doesn't make sense, like, if they know each other, especially that closely, that they be, like, Avengers, for instance, they'd be like, Captain America, go do this. It's just like, no, man, I'm Steve. He, we literally had lunch together the other day. Like, it, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. It's always bothered me. Give them their superhero names. That's why they're superheroes. Give it's- me my superhero silly names, you bitch. Josh, give them to me. I'm waiting. Hand me the names. Never. He's taking the names from me, everyone. Watch him stealing my names. Give them. Anyway, Stature is cool. It's a cooler name. But yes, the Wasp definitely should have been in this movie more. Whether you like Evangeline Lily or not, like she should be in the movie more. I, I can understand from a story perspective why she was kept with Hank and Janet was to allow like Scott and Cassie's relationship to build up more and for the themes of the movie. So I can understand it from that perspective, but it still does hurt her character from like growing, especially in growing a big, stronger connection with Scott. Cause you know, they're supposed to be romantically entangled at this point. We don't really see that. I mean, we see them, they are in love, but we don't feel it. Cause it's Amen one. They had a, they had like a, they snuck, they snuck a kiss together. Ant-Man 2, she's mad at him the whole time. Yeah, like in Ant-Man and the Wasp, she has reasons to be like, oh, you kind of screwed me over in every possible way. Yeah, no, screw you, dude. But now it's just like, I mean, I can understand, again, this is the same argument of like, it's been a couple of years, their relationship would build off screen. I'm fine with that, but then show us the relationship at the very least. You don't have to show us the build up, but show what their relationship is like. Yeah, to me, a lot of the off-screen stuff comes across as tell-don't-show, and it's like by accident. Like, instead of what should be show-don't-tell, comes across as just tell-don't-show, which is not what I want. The biggest problems in the movie probably are with that kind of stuff, of like, what an off-screen character element here we're not seeing, but all right. And also, like, this isn't a spoiler, but the end the end scene, like, the very, very last thing, is a, is a reshoot, and people are just like, oh, it's a reshoot, that's, like, the worst thing ever, I'm just like... It literally doesn't matter, guys. She just has dyed hair. Like, and again, it's oh. been a certain amount of time afterwards. She could have dyed it the next day. It's fine. People are complaining it's reshoot because of the... It changes the ending. They all they reshot and cha- rewrote the ending. 
No, I know, I know, and I read the writer's, like, reason, like, for why the ending was the way, or something like that, and I'm like, okay, I kind of, and we'll get into this soon, but I like how it ended. I thought that was an interesting way. I do and don't, and we'll get into that soon as well. I can, I can't say a lot, don't have spoilers, but overall, before we get into spoilers, Josh, what we have so far, yay or nay, on Quantumania? Oh, woo, 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 woo. I, I give it a yay. I think despite some of its faults, uh, to me, they're not big enough for me to call this a bad movie. And it's, it's a very similar thing to Eternals. I just don't understand why people are saying this is a bad movie. It's not that it's devoid of problems and there aren't things to criticize, but like, this isn't bad. I don't know. I don't get it. Okay. Spoiler time. I'm giving you yay, but I'll explain a lot of my thoughts in a minute. Spoiler time starting now. If you do not want to have anything spoiled in this movie for you, skip ahead to our super weird story and come back when you watch the movie. Timestamps are down below. If you're on Spotify, click the description button. If you're on YouTube, click the description button. Whatever. So, spoiler time right now. This is my Thor Ragnarok. And what's funny is I completely understand what you mean by that. Down to the revolutionaries. All of it. It's the same fucking plot. But this time, to me, it works. Because it's contained, it's coherent, the characters feel mostly consistent. Um, and you know what? It's also consistent nonsense. It's nonsense, but it's coherent nonsense. To me, Ragnarok falls apart in a thousand, thousand different ways. I'm not going to get into that today. I don't have time for that today. But you know what? Here it works, and I like that. Give me more Veb. I don't care that there are hollow jokes. It felt like it fit here. I. This is something that I... I counted my holes in the theater. This is uh, something that I really loved in this was there's a, there's a kind of like war thing that's happening with Kang and like, you know, the quantum realm and like overtaking everything. And there's like a whole group of rebels building up and like wanting to fight back. And, you know, it obviously ends with the rebels fighting back and like all our war happening. And to me, compared to other MCU films like Black Panther and Shang-Chi, where it just kind of feels like it's tacked on so we can recreate like the army stuff from Avengers here it works because it's built into the narrative. But Thank with, you! But with, like, Black Panther and Shang-Chi, it just, it feels forced, and it doesn't matter. Like, and this is the thing that, this is something that I realized, like, on rewatching Shang-Chi for, like, the fifth time. Like, there's a line at the very end when he's just like, we lost a lot of good people that day, and... Uh, it, I hate that line. I know, because it comes off as a joke when I don't think it's supposed to, because we don't know any of the people that they fought with because they weren't prominent. It didn't matter. And here, it works because it's not just the hero versus the villain, it's everything versus the villain. And it looks so sad in that Shang-Chi line, too, like, we lost a lot of people. What the fuck? You don't know them. Exactly. Like, in, the, in that film in Black Panther, the thing that we cared about was the fight between the hero and the villain, because that's what the whole film was built around. You could cut all the army stuff and not miss anything. But here, it's tied together with the hero versus villain stuff. See, I don't agree with this Black Panther part, part of that, because I, I think the Civil War actually meant a lot, like, thematically. Like, a lot. About the whole idea of T'Challa versus Killmonger was, was about their morals, and that's what the whole Civil War was about. It was amplifying that, and Okoye versus her husband. Yeah, but so that's, I, I, that's still just those specific people, though. We don't know what everyone else thinks, though, because we don't know anyone else but those lead people. No, I know, but they're just amplifying that same kind of those those feelings. So I'm not mad at that. I get it's your feeling, too. I understand it. Um, but here, we even have, like, Cork and Meek, Big Boy and Gooey Boy, once again. Like, it's the same movie, down to, like, Kang is super—we uh, have— Secret kept for a long time about with 
past villain that we didn't know about brought back in a, there's so many small details We're like this is the same plot of Ragnarok but this time I'm enjoying it more and the characters for the most part feel pretty consistent from movie to movie I don't agree that for Thor Thor 1, 2, 3, 4 etc but here like yeah besides the weird romance stuff being not at all consistent uh, this feels like that's still Scott Lang look at all the movies I get it I am following you you feel the same character in different movies that's fine I will say, Kathy doesn't look like the same character to me. How old is she supposed to be? I think she was six. She was six, and then it was two years later. So then that would be two years, eight. <laughs> I can't math. Eight, and then five. So then, apparently, she was thirteen in Endgame, which doesn't seem right. Then maybe like, but it can't be because twenty fifteen was Age of Ultron. Again, this is where the timeline thing gets weird. Because I thought that she they looks said, like nineteen here, but she should be, I think, like seventeen, sixteen. I don't know. Because yeah, because I thought that they said that in Endgame she was like fifteen or something like that. Why she like? Okay, I could buy like fifteen, sixteen, and so here it should be like you know sixteen, seventeen. But with the timeline, she's probably like fourteen. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I, I I thought that she felt consistent with how she was because she, especially in the second one, she talks about that she wants to, you know, work with her dad. She wants to help people. She has that desire, and to see that desire, you know, grow into actually doing it, I don't know. I thought it felt consistent. I agree with that part for sure. Um, okay, let's get in some weird stuff. Veb, what the fuck? Drink the ooze. I'm so down. This is weird stuff I'm down for. I wonder how they figured out how... And this is, this is a thing that I love. Um... Like, how do they figure out that drinking Veb's ooze would allow them all to understand each other? And obviously, there's something there when they go to the bar. There's some drink that does the same effect. So, like, is it just Veb's species? Like, is it all them? Is there something else? But again, this is what I love about it. It's making no, me- uh, no. Sorry, <laughs> Veb is just he's just excreting himself, peeing, spitting. It's just him, and he, that's his job. He gets paid to pee in cups for people to drink. But this is this is what I love about this movie and like other weird sci-fi movies like Mad Max Fury Road, Valerian to Save a Thousand Planets, um, The Fifth Element, where they have these weird creatures or weird other things that they don't explain what they are. But through their designs and the way that they either do things, the way that they act, you're just like, I want to know everything there is to know about them. And that's just to me, that's good sci-fi. Like, I guess. Not world building, is that the right word? But it gets me intrigued in the universe far more by doing stuff like that. It's visual exposition. Yeah. It works. Oh, oh, we can get more explorers now, so... They all get stuck in the quantum realm after Cassie sends a signal down there to try and basically do, like, uh, a two-way radio kind of signal. The problem is, there are people down there, and they do respond. And Kang's like, they're mine. (laughs) So, he sucks them down. Not sexually. That'd be inappropriate. I mean, here I did with Janet. We already know. It's already brought up in the movie. Literally brought up in the movie that he... And Janet had... We learned that about the sex lives of Hank and Janet in this movie that I didn't expect to hear about. <laughs> Not with each other. With other people. With Kang, I can under, I can understand. But then with Bill Murray? You know, like 30 plus years ago, but like, still. Bill Murray's in this movie for one scene. Honestly, I don't think that he it needed to be Bill Murray. Like, Neither do I! It was such a weird thing to keep marketing about. It was probably... The idea of having him was neat, but then they were probably like, he couldn't really like do a whole lot of improvising, which is something that he does, you know, very well. 
but it doesn't seem like they really let him, so it just didn't seem like, what was the point? We get him for one fucking scene! I guess it's better than the Zombieland cameo. Actually, that's funnier. No, the, zo- so, the Zombieland one is much better. Fascinating choice, right? Yeah. There's a weird Broccoli Man. I wish this one was weirder. Genuinely weirder, though. Really? I thought that was pretty weird. The weirdest thing I came up with is Broccoli Man and Lamphead. I, I thought that, I don't know. William Jackson Harper in this movie was the most wasted cast to me, though. Yeah. I said earlier, performance-wise, yeah, he was fun. It's whatever. But fun is not a one for this performance from him. I wanted, first off, not to be a weird mind-reading boy with a glowing head, which is what he played. I wanted William Jackson Harper to be the smartest man alive. Reed fucking Richards. Not Reed fucking Richards, but you know, the man himself, Reed Richards. Yeah, but, this is this was a waste of his, of his abilities, and I can understand, you know, you get a call from Marvel to play in a role, you're just like, oh yeah, sure, I'll take it, because you probably don't really know what it's gonna be. And, you know, this could lead to, you know, bigger things, and he's already, you know, got big things on the table and everything, but, I don't know, I feel like casting someone of his talents into such a small role these days, eh, I, I, I don't He's care also for it. fucking jacked! Yeah, the man is, like, muscular, very much. <laughs> Like, he has a superhero build, an incredible acting range. He can do small and big and comedic and, like, down-to-earth so well for a like, range of characters. He would have been an amazing Reed Richards. Let's talk about Kang, though. Kang boy. Kang boy! So, what do you think about our, our, our Kang in this movie? I think it's a really good introduction to him. And I've seen people, you know, complain about, like, this shouldn't have been the movie. I'm like, I don't care. Whatever. Who? who you're all going to see it anyways. But I think that's, that's a bad argument. I, it's okay to critique something. No, I'm aware. Still. I'm I'm just saying I don't care. You're all going to see it anyways. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I saw it. I agree that this is the wrong movie for Kang to be in, but I think it's good. I think it's, it's fine. But I think it's still I, fun. It gave us a really good idea of what this version is like and why he who remains, you know, is does not care for his variants and is afraid of them and Kang has a very similar thing with He Who Remains about, you know, purifying the timeline and everything like that, but obviously his methods are very different. And of course, Jonathan Major's performance, you know, really helps sell it. What is Kang's story in this movie, Josh? Kang, he gets exiled by, you know, himself, the other Kangs, because, you know, he's going from world to world, universe to universe, and being like, all right, you're trying to screw over this world, well, I'm gonna screw it over before you can screw it over, which is... I'm not saying it correctly, but you get the you get the picture. He wants to stop them before they can stop everything, before the multiverse can collide with itself. So this if, is Sylvie's fault. <laughs> so if he can, you know, if some universes had to die in order for the entire multiverse to live, he sees that as a um, a sacrifice worth making. Josh, you could say he sees it as an absolute win, like the Hulk said. Fine, he sees it as an absolute win. Yes, he was trapped in the quantum realm with Janet there. And again, time is real. He was where he was exiled to, and he had rebuilt his time chair, which I commented one time to you, Josh, that it's it needs to be more timey. <laughs> more cosmic looking, but it's fine, whatever. They did make it kind of cosmic when it was all big and could destroy him. But they didn't give that same cosmicness when it was small again. Make it cosmic still. But seriously, it was really fun to see his time chair in this and all, which can travel through the multiverse two different timelines, which in this in, in the MCU, multi uh, different timelines, different universes are kind of the same thing, the same wording. This is something that, I, I, that I don't know about on. King. Um, do his powers come from his suit normally? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly his fun chair. Well, I know the, yes. the, the chair gave him the suits. Uh, okay. Yes. Cause that was something I didn't know going into it. I was just like, why is that, why is that a big deal that, that now he has a suit? I thought that he had, you know, the powers normally. No, the powers come from the suit. That's why in his final fight with Scott, his suit was basically destroyed so he couldn't use any of his normal tricks. It's similar to Dr. Doom, who in the comics originally before he, or, um, is often not actually powered, but uses like, reads magic books and uses the spells in them, or, uh, has to, he uses like, uh, quantum technology which is often dr doom's thing as well and tries to use that instead he uses technology a lot so it's similar to that here also in this they changed the lines on his mask to scars on his face which is fucked up and i love it i love that detail i think it's really cool now i've talked to you about josh about how i'm kind of tired of nanotech helmets and suits and stuff i like it on kang for the mask there's like a little blue visor that's kind of cool i dug it kang overall this movie nerfed but cool and i think a lot of it comes from him just underestimating ant-man yeah like because and we talked about this you know in the group chat before but i think that the reason that he ended up losing was because his ego you know is so big and he has a right to have an ego that big with you know everything that he's done but again he underestimated scott's abilities and everything else and so that's why he ended up losing he was exiled while janet was still there they found each other they became lovers, apparently. They also, she helped him rebuild his ship, was it was called, that, his time chair, his cosmic fun spot. Because it's connected to his neural network, his brain. Once she touched it, once it was fully rebuilt, she got flashes of his mind and saw different universes where he was just decimating genocide and Thanos-level threats and destroying holy timelines. Because he wants to conquer. He's a conqueror. And she's like, oh no, I don't like that. So let's go destroy this core. And she does that. And she created a very long war by doing so. And Kang decided to conquer the entire quantum realm. And of course, in Ant-Man the Wasp, Janet left. So, for a while, Janet created a war. And then just dipped out while Kang just started terrorizing the whole world. Because that's something she did. That's basically the Janet's whole plot in this movie and her motivation in arc is like, fuck, I'm, I left I, I left all of you to die here. Let's fix this problem. And Cassie guilt trips Scott by saying, you can do something. You can help his people. And so he does. But also to only kind of to save Cassie in the end anyway. So, yeah, whatever. Th- this to that's the that's biggest- the arc problem. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me that I have a problem with is that it has interesting ideas and arcs set up, but then the way that it gets to the arc's conclusions don't feel natural to the story. And I think that's because of the way the MCU works. Like, you can have ideas like this, but then if, you know, Feige has to like, oh, we need this character here for this thing because this, this has to happen, then they'll get to that con- conclusion but not in the way that it should have been. And this is and this is where we get into the ending. Because, you know, and I think we all agree on this. I think Scott should have died and sacrificed himself, either being stuck in the quantum realm and not having a way out, or getting killed by Kang, getting him stopping him from getting out. I think that if it was one of those two things, then I think that his arc would have been completed and satisfied. Also, I'm fine with static arcs in general. Like, like Cassie's arc is static; it doesn't change. Yeah, really. You don't have to have a character that has an arc in the movie. Like, you, look, Back to the Future, Marty doesn't have an arc, and it's fine. If your character is well defined, then you don't need an arc. But 
if you set up an arc for them to go on, then you need to complete the arc. And that's our problem, because her staticness is what should have been the end of Scott's arc. Of, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be just defeating Kang to help his family. He should be, at the end of the movie, defeating Kang, because he realized, with great power comes great responsibility, and these people need help. I need to help them. Which is what Cassie does instead. Yes, but in his final fight with Kang, he makes the conscious choice of, you know, he knows that if he gets out, bad shit's going to go down. So he's going to literally fight till his last breath and to stop him from getting out. I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. But they don't do that. They don't both lose, which I would have preferred. I would have greatly preferred it if they had the balls to kill him off. And again, it would have been a very shocking thing to do, but it would have worked better for his arc. But of course, Faye, you know, he's got his whole master plan out. So Scott probably has some big thing going on later on. But it does feel weird with how they set up the final fight for him to live. My thought was they should both get out. And the end, because time is weird in the quantum realm, when they both get out, it's Kang Dynasty. Like, immediately. Yeah. It should have been... Yeah. Okay, yes, that would have been cool. And obviously, they don't know what it's going to be like the movie yet, but they could, like, walk out and there's, like, a hellscape or something like that, or just, like, they hear screams, like, coming from outside and, like, you know, something bad's happening and then we cut to black. It could have been something like that. I don't know. But that would have been... He you gets know. out, and that secret war, we're in the middle of secret war, is already happening. Yeah, it could have been something like that, but they do end it in a way that's leading to that, because it, you know, ends like, it's just like, oh, everything's all good, everything is all happy now, but then Scott's just like... Or is well, it? Yeah, Scott's just like, his inner monologue is like, wait, he said that if he doesn't get out, then something really bad is going to happen. Why did we not let him out? Is he still alive? And like, he's still, he's having those intrusive thoughts. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I'm glad that they add that in. So... It makes the ending work for me, but I would have preferred it if it was something like we talked about. Yeah, and at the end, I think it still does the goofy, silly stuff at the end, which is what it should be doing, because it is, at the end of the day, it's still an Ant-Man movie. It should be silly. So I think it has some weird tone problems in the movie to try and be silly and, and tense. I don't think it always works, always lands, but overall, the movie as a whole lands. Like, I think it all as a whole mostly works. What are your last thoughts on Quantumania, Josh? I think that in five plus years, however long, people are going to look back on it and be like, why do we, why are we so harsh on this? I'm not, I'm not going to say people are going to instantly call it like a 10 out of 10, but I think it's going to be one of those things that people will look back on and be like, oh yeah, that, that was pretty good. And I like, walked out of the theater thinking this is one of the higher MCU rankings for me. Not, I don't know what it would rank. I don't know, I've never ranked them before, but like, this is to me, not because it's amazing. It's just fun. And I wanted a fun time. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of people, now, especially just with some of them in the way that they are, they're expecting, you know, these big giant things. And then when it's not that, then they're like, oh, this is instantly bad. Like we saw it with Multiverse of Madness. We obviously saw it here that people are just expecting these giant things with certain ones and then they don't get it. They're just like, this is instantly bad because it's what is it, what I was expecting. And people stop just being like, if it's not what I expected, then it's automatically bad go in with an open mind and see what the film is for itself, not what, what you want it to be. Because that's not going to happen most of the time. I love how much Hank loves ants in this movie. <laughs> it's pretty funny. There's an ant society now. He, there we have smart ants, and I love that. Like, extra smart. Smart giant ants. 
when people are like, how they can get over, how they can get defeated by ants. I'm like, there was an army of thousands of them that are like 50 times their normal size and ants can carry 50 times their weight. What do you think would happen if a man is overrun by thousands of ants that can lift 50 times their weight? We know what happens. We've seen Indiana Jones. Exactly. And now imagine them bigger. Like people, there's a reason the man lost. <laughs> also, like the ants aren't even really defeated him. They just slowed him down. And people keep saying that's what defeated him. No. Yeah, they slowed him down and destroyed most of his suit, but they didn't kill him. I also have the idea of Scott going giant in the quantum realm feels weird in general, because it's supposed to be like, when you go small, you go there. When you go big, you should get out. That's my thought. Just go wee. Yeah, it doesn't bother. The science behind it doesn't bother me because it's all bullshit. <laughs> like when uh, Cassie uses the blue one, which makes things grow on herself, and she doesn't escape. That's weird to me, because that's what made Scott get out in the first one. Well, he wasn't as deep down as, you know, as, as she is. It's all deep down. I don't know how that works. I don't know. Maybe it was like a single press, like, doesn't grows you to a certain point, but doesn't be up. Maybe if you hold it, I don't fucking know. I, he replaces regulator in the first one with that, which also is a nonsense whatever thing. Good movie, I think. Or bad movie. I don't even care. I enjoyed it. Wait, we forgot about the best boy in the movie, Modoc. Oh my god, Darren! And about him being a dick or not, we brought it up earlier, we never addressed it, you're right. I will now enter right here and insert the clip of what Josh thought Modoc stood for last time. Motorized, omniscient, daddy on kilts. Yes, daddy's on kilts. From now on, Modoc is just daddy's on kilts. That's what Josh thought it was anyway. That's what it should be. So it's mental or mechanical or mechanized, whatever. Uh, mental organism designed only for killing. And yes, they make the joke of, it should be Modoc then, right? They actually made that joke, which I'm glad they did. It's Darren Cross from the first one. And if you're asking, you're, what, if you're just asking who, because, yeah, that's fair, it's been a while. Um, he's the Yellow Jacket, the big boss from the first film. The ment mentee of Hank Pym. And the guy who was kind of obsessed with uh, Hope, which we'll keep forgetting her name because she's better in this movie. And yeah, he's now Modoc, which people said Modoc was wasted in this movie. Are you really a Modoc fan? People, he is a giant floating head with baby legs and arms. What did you expect him to do? I just wanted the bowl cut and the squinch of your face. I stand by what I said last time. He looks good otherwise. I mean, he looks disgusting, but he looks good. He's supposed to not be good looking. I'm so tired of seeing people being like, the effects of Ant-Man are terrible. Look at them. They're as bad as, um, bad Spy Kids. And I'm like, okay, A, you're using it from the first trailer and from phone screen grabs. The first trailer, the effects weren't done yet. So, no. And B, a phone screen grab is going to look worse than the actual film. Like, he looks fine. I mean, he looks horrendous, but I love it. He's supposed to. Why do people act like he's supposed to look amazing? I love my little squinch boy. Because I, unironically, do love Modoc. Don't ask me to name a comic with him in it. I don't fucking read enough comics anymore. I'm trying. I don't have time. I have recently read a lot of Fantastic Four comics, which is also why I say definitively, this is a Fantastic Four movie. Um, same tone and everything. But Modoc is meant to be a B-level threat. C-level threat, but he's he is an Avengers villain usually, but he works it really here really well. He works for AIM usually, and AIM was referenced in the first film briefly with AIM, Hydra, etc. He's not his comic book version at all. In the comics, Modok was a scientist at AIM who was experimented on to advance his intellect so much, and his brain grew too big, 
I got actually a little sad at the dick moment. Let me rephrase that. Um, cause don't worry, you won't see his dick. We do see his butt. I, oddly enough, we do see Modok, but when almost defeated, like, and Cassie is there, she tells him to stop being a dick. Just, like, to be a better person. Cause you can. Kind of puny. He says, I don't know what else to be. Tell me what to be. And it made me like, aww. And she said, and it's never too late to stop being a dick. Which people have laughed at that I'm being dumb. It's meant to be dumb. She's talking to a big head. It's okay to have dumb lines like that in this sometimes. Yes. But also, it's good advice. It's never too late to stop being a dick. That's true for everyone. Like, if you're a bad person or making mistakes or just being an asshole to your friends, you can still change. Modoc is the best. I want him in everything. Uh, yes. I wish they didn't kill him off. I wish he escaped with them. Yeah. I would have been really yeah, he... funny just to see him escape. Anyway, that's our Quantumania thoughts. Woo! Josh, where can people find you online? I'm at places. I'm on uh, Instagram, Rudy 16 Twitter, Rudy 28 YouTube at Josh Rudolph. I have not been able to upload for a while just because of work and everything. Uh, I have things planned, uh, so be on the lookout for stuff in the near future. Email the show. You can email the show at podgeekspeak at gmail.com or tweet at us with hashtag geekspeakpod or at geekspeakpod on Twitter. I am on TikTok and Instagram at that nerd theater or I'm on Twitter at the theater nerd. Goodbye, y'all.